Hello and welcome to In the Isles, a movie and TV podcast. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover a little bit of real news. We have a conflicts of interest about things that we have shamefully never seen, despite their popularity. And for our main review, it's a Halloween Welcome to the Bloom House, part one, double bill. The Lie and Black Box. Double feature main review. How kind we're being to our audience. Yeah, two for the price of one, even though it's not available for free. <laughs> Double the dose of In the Isles main reviews. You can't ask for more than that, other than to pay your Amazon subscription for you, which we're not going to do. No. Before we get to all that... So as is now becoming customary on this podcast, because we mess up so often... Uh, I'd like to issue uh, an apology. So last week during our Tesla review, I named Tesla, Nicholas Tesla, <laughs> about five times, and you conveniently highlighted that to me the moment we stopped recording, even though I'd said it repeatedly. So I sound like a dick now. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't want to break the floor. I just thought, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. Well, just so you know... I, you referred to Robert Patrick as David Patrick in an earlier episode. And guess what? I cut that out because I'm a nice guy. Didn't do me the same sort of service, did you? Think about how hard it is to edit the S out of saying Nicholas Tesla. <laughs> okay. I'll, yeah. Fair enough. I'll not hold it against you. I'd also like to apologize. When we were reviewing Tesla last week, we repeatedly made reference to the filmmaker, the director, he's made it interesting without once saying his name, <laughs> which is Michael Emilaria. I think it was better if we didn't mention it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we also talked about the cinematography being interesting. Sean Price Williams, the cinematographer. Good work. Do you feel better now? I do feel better. Good. How be you, good sir? I'm good. We've often mentioned the breakdown of civil society on this podcast and the lack of social cohesion. The other day, I saw something that stuck with me and I've had to check the name of the crossing on gogirl.co.uk. I was at a... Pelican Crossing, which is where you have to press the button and wait for the green man before you can cross. A group of young lads just walked straight out into the street when it was green for traffic and just used their hands to stop oncoming traffic and just cross. And the traffic did stop. There wasn't really any other option for them, but what are they playing at? I was just shocked. That's the society that we're in. That's where we are at where you can just say, you know what, I'm just going to walk out in the street, and I know people stop for me. I would have, if I was front and centre there in that traffic, I would have just played straight through. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> they deserve it. What a bunch of imbeciles. And to make matters worse, when I did get to Tesco, which is where I was going, they stopped selling canned mackerel in teriyaki sauce, which was by far the best sauce. <laughs> Bet you were livid by the time you got home, weren't you? After encountering yes. all that. So it's not been great, not been great, but I've watched some good uh, good stuff on the TV. How have you been? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm okay. It's been 
It's been a testing week, so I think I mentioned in the last podcast my uh, son has been ill quite recently and took him into nursery, which he started only a few weeks ago. Got a call during work on Friday. Oh, hi. Hi, Mr. Acton. Um, your son, he's, he's looking a bit floppy and lifeless. Floppy and lifeless. She may as well have said, he's, he's looking a bit dead. What is that about? I went and picked him up. And yes, he was ill. Lifeless. No, think of another word. Jesus, I was panicking. Lifeless is the worst possible word you could use. Completely agreed. I just couldn't. I mean, I didn't have the nerve to say, I'm sorry, but think of another descriptor, please. I I just couldn't bring myself to say it, but I I was fuming with it. I thought that's just... Anyway. He's looking a bit like... All the bones have been removed from his body and he's just a pile of skin. <laughs> That's no That's worse, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was that was fun. And then secondly, because we have impending lockdown once again, probably tomorrow as we record this, we thought we'd treat ourselves to a, a final meal out. So before we wave goodbye to normalcy, for God knows how long. We went out and, by the way, before I get to this, have you found that there's, have you been out much recently, restaurant-wise? Once or twice, yeah. Do you find there's any consistency to procedure at all in terms of when you wear your mask, do they check your temperature? Do you have to check in using a QR code? Some places do it, some places don't. Yeah, it's inconsistent. The yeah. most inconsistent thing is the checking in with the QR code. Some of them just leave it up on the wall some of them say give me your name and contact number some of them have a form some of them don't do anything and there's just a note on the table saying we trust that you will scan this code if not we will obviously let you get away with it because we're not checking it (laughs) yeah it's almost quite consistent in terms of its inconsistency with with a lot of the rules i don't think anybody really knows what to do but anyway i just find that interesting so anyway we're out for this meal and I got asked, as is quite normal, would you like any sauces, sir? To which my partner responded, yes, horseradish, please. And I thought, oh, come on, horseradish. We're not dining with the queen. Chill out. I said mayo, because I'm I'm every man. I just wanted mayo. Anyway, get it delivered to the table, dip my chip in. I thought, yeah, that's normal. Oh, 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 what what is that? What is that aftertaste? And I can only describe it as I did at the time, which is toilety. Have you ever eaten something that tasted like a smell and not a good one at that? Yes, yes. Black garlic. Oh, right, okay. Just tastes like actual poo. It just... (laughs) But you know, it tastes like the smell of poo. Right, okay. I don't think I've ever had it then, to be fair. But yeah, it it did... I mean, I've... It's another story for another time, but I ate a urinal cube once for a bet <laughs> um so maybe that's why i've got a bit of experience but it did not it did not taste right at all so yeah sent it back i don't know what they'd done maybe it was disinfectant in the bowl or something but my word it was terrific <sighs> shall we move on yes i think that's best james lighten the mood from toilet tasting mayonnaise what have you been watching this week I've been watching timely content 
or at least one piece of time of content. Oktoberfest, colon, beer and blood and Netflix. This is from the writer of Dark, the time-travelling mystery thriller that is my favourite thing on all of Netflix. So this is a new German drama, which is about competing beer brewers in 1900. And an outsider comes in with big ambition to make a huge beer tent for Oktoberfest. And he tries to become successful by manoeuvring his way in murderous, unethical ways. And the traditional Munich beer brewers, they try to stop him. And there's a smaller brewery who deal with their own small business problems and family drama. And there's romantic intrigue and things going on. So that's a general outline. It starts strong with some death in the first episode, but for the remaining five episodes, it's more beer than blood. I thought it was going to be a Breaking Bad style central character murdering his way to the top, but it's very much about the business maneuvering between the breweries. It's got a very luscious setting. Love the 1900 setting. This is actually the third thing in a row that we're talking about on the podcast set in 1900. The first was Enola Holmes. Then we had Tesla last week and now Oktoberfest. So we're all about 1900 on this podcast. I had high expectations, so maybe that's why I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. But it's very well made, some great acting, a lot of intrigue back and forth. Half of it takes place during the actual Oktoberfest festival itself. So it's very high energy, very fast paced when it gets to the middle part. I feel like there's a historical context to 1900 Germany that I'm ignorant of that might have let me enjoy it more, but it is something different and it shows what other countries are doing with that sweet Netflix money. I don't know whether you'd recommend it or not. I don't either. (laughs) I mean, I want to simply because it's the same writer of Dark. That's like letting Guy Ritchie off for Revolver, that. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's not as bad as that. Watch the first episode. Watch, Give it a try for the first episode. And you're either in or you're out after that first episode. But for me, you've already spoiled it for me in a sense because you've told me you get a nice bit of death, episode one. You had to be sold at that point. And then it's all about beer thereafter. So I, I just think I'll miss it. Thanks. Okay. Anything more solid in terms of a recommend? Really solid, full, wholehearted recommendation for this. A documentary, Challenger, The Final Flight, also on Netflix. Only four episodes. It's about the well-known Challenger shuttle disaster in 1986. It follows the build-up to the disaster and goes in-depth about the seven crew, including Krista McAuliffe, who was the civilian teacher who was selected to go out in the shuttle. There's interviews with the top people from the time, like the top directors of NASA who made the decisions and also the engineers who designed the rocket systems and also Krista McAuliffe's understudy substitute person. So she went through all the training that Krista did right up until the point of actually being on the shuttle. So she knows everything about what it was like in the build-up and that's a really interesting perspective. So you see the incompetence and the arrogance of NASA, which is a surprising thing that you wouldn't expect from such a glorious, ambitious organization. You see the terrible management at the senior level, 
the lack of responsibility, the bad decision-making in the build-up to it. It's quite shocking, really, the events that led up to it. And you can see that some of these men, these engineers, they've carried the guilt with them for 30 years and they're still caught up about it. They're still crying over it, even up to this day, which makes it quite difficult to watch. But it's also about scientific discovery and the hope that comes with space travel. And it captures the idea of being an astronaut and the ambition and the adventure of it so much better than Away starring Hilary Swank. So, so much better than that. So if you've watched Away or you just want to watch anything that looks into space travel and what it really involves, I'd really recommend watching Challenger, The Final Flight. Very good. Style-wise, how is it shot? Do they dramatise and reconstruct events? Or is it just like one-on-one interview type? They don't dramatise anything. It's talking head interviews mixed with loads of archive footage. Because this was such a public event, there was a lot of publicity around it. They've got footage of all of their training leading up to it. They've got loads and loads of news footage. They've got the footage of the event obviously but also the news footage when it was delayed and the aftermath and speeches from Ronald Reagan and they did loads of interviews with the crew because there was a big publicity drive behind it so no dramatization but a lot of really good archive footage good I just wanted to see you know in light of recent documentaries on Netflix like the social dilemma where they had this amalgamation of different styles of storytelling I just wondered what they'd gone for with this one but Thanks. I might check this out. Anything else? I've got a vintage Netflix review. Vintage Netflix review. It's crying out for a jingle, that, isn't it? Yeah. One of the greatest sports documentaries and arguably the greatest wrestling documentary of all time is on Netflix, Beyond the Mat from 1999, featuring Mankind, The Rock, Terry Funk, Jake the Snake Roberts. It's a documentary about this wrestling fan who's the director and producer of the thing. He spent three years traveling around America talking to wrestlers in WWF and at the independent level and in the lowest carny gym level. And you get an insight into the business that is never going to happen again because it's more closed now. And when this was released, Vince McMahon tried to shut it down and go back on his contract to allow certain things to be released and said even if you're not into wrestling it's a good insight into the psychology of this sport slash entertainment that everyone knows exists it's a one of a kind look at that world pretty sad and dark when jake the snake roberts talks about his sister dying and never finding the body there's some classic scenes of mankind in a match where he's getting cut open and hit in the head with a chair and his young children are watching it in the crowd, reacting as though it's real and really not enjoying it at all. Just a really good watch and a nostalgic watch for people our age who, of course, grew up with those characters at the time. What a blast from the past. I'd forgotten all about that. I think it was on my watch list. When it was first released, 1999, my word, 21 years ago. That has made me feel very old. Um, but yeah, I, I will watch that because, like I said, I've been meaning to it for a very long time. It is officially 
Dwayne Johnson's first cinematic role because it was released in cinemas and he's in it. Well, there's another reason to give it a go. That's my streaming consumption for this week. Daniel, what have you been watching? So I've struggled this week because we, we had two main reviews and I, I had loads of stuff on my list. I wanted to watch Utopia. I wanted to watch the boys finale. So many things. And ashamedly, I didn't get around to them all. So I'm going to give a very, very quick taster of my initial thoughts on The Haunting of Bly Manor. And I was really geared up for this. I absolutely loved The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Um, I think it was last year or maybe the year before. Absolutely masterful storytelling by Mike Flanagan. And I have come to know and understand through looking at his IMDb credits that I'm quite a fan of Mike Flanagan and didn't know. Um, films such as Oculus, which is an expertly crafted horror film, as is, in my opinion, Hush, which came out a few years ago on Netflix as well. Really, really simple concepts executed well. But what he did with The Haunting of Hill House is take a classic novel update it into modern day setting and have a very, very intricate and emotional story to tell alongside it being a horror. And I can't remember the last time I was so genuinely creeped out by something. So I I walked into this with very, very high expectations. Only one episode in, so I can't comment too much, but I'm loving the feel and the vibe of this program. It is very atmospheric, just like The Haunting of Hill House. And it is early days, as I say, but it seems to be going for a different kind of feel to it. Even though I say it's it's very similar, it doesn't feel as focused on the jump scares and horror element of it yet. I have read a few reviews that have indicated this is much more of a love story than it is a horror story. And so far, as I say, it's not got those jump scare moments, but it is very unsettling and I am invested with what's going on in the story, but it's essentially a woman takes a au pair job in a mansion looking after two children who recently lost their parents and things go slightly askew from there, shall we say. But as I say, really enjoying what I've seen so far and I've heard that I'm in for quite a treat. It's done very well from a critical review standpoint. So yeah, looking forward to see what comes next and I shall keep you abreast of my opinions. Very good. I've seen that pop up on Netflix as well. I've been interested in it. Didn't watch the other one, The Haunting of Hill House. So Quite confusing that as well, because you get a few characters reappear in this version and the time setting's very different. And I was questioning myself, are they bringing these characters back? And because it had been so long since I'd watched the old one, I had to Google that and find out that no, it's a completely different story with, yes, a few of the same actors playing completely different characters. Also nice to see Henry Thomas, little lad from E.T. fame, yet again, because he was in the first series. And do you know what? He's a good actor. Good on him. I don't think he's been in anything else for years, but he's uh, finally jump-starting his career again at the ripe old age of probably 52, so good on him. The font is the same on both of those, the Haunting series, and that made me think they're part of the Haunting expanded universe, so they're definitely not connected. No, you can watch the second series completely independent from the first. Okay. What else have you been watching? So after The Haunting of Bly Manor, I decided to watch Good Morning, Veronica, which is nowhere near as jolly as the title suggests. It is a crime thriller from Brazil. So treating you to foreign content this week in the likes of 
Oktoberfest from James and good morning, Veronica, from me. So they're branching out and they're expanding into a lot of foreign content, Netflix, and I really like it. It seems as though they're not just concentrating on their English-speaking audiences. And for the most part, I think I've enjoyed a lot of the foreign content a lot more. We've reviewed a number of them now, and I've struggled to find one that we've not been positive about. Maybe Oktoberfest, you've just ruined the uh, the flow of that, but never mind. So this is about a female character played by Taina Muller, who is a police office clerk who inserts herself into an investigation following a very public suicide of a woman who walks into a police station and blows her brains out, effectively. And this main character, she has a troubled past, which involves her police chief father, which slowly is unraveled as the series progresses. But that is not the main element of this show. There's actually quite a lot going on. You have simultaneous storylines all happening at once. There's a serial rapist case that's tied into the suicide at the beginning. That's mixed in with a serial killer who is also inflicting quite high levels of domestic abuse upon his wife in quite explicit detail. Plus, as mentioned, this ongoing mystery surrounding our protagonist's past. And this main character of Veronica is an extremely complicated one. She makes some very frustrating decisions which are detrimental to her family life and ultimately puts them in some real danger. And it can be quite difficult for you to reconcile your feelings to Walter at times because of the, these decisions that she makes, but she's so multi-layered and I think that the past that she has informs a lot of the decisions that she makes throughout the series. And I think it, it, it once you get more of that knowledge as the series goes on, it actually justifies and, and strikes the balance well as to you know what she has done. Um, the central villain in this, who is the initiator of the domestic abuse that I mentioned earlier, he is brilliant. And I would say brilliant, I don't admire him. I just mean from an acting standpoint. He plays this perfectly. He goes from on the surface, extremely sweet and charming to just spine chillingly menacing within a split second. And it's like expertly done. It is a show that I think is trying to highlight some pretty important messages. Domestic abuse is at the forefront of this series. And it's quite, as I say, explicit in showing you that domestic abuse and making you understand how psychologically somebody can be manipulated into staying in a relationship. It also is a bit of a, I say a bit of, it, it's rather glaringly a condemnation of the Brazilian justice system and the police in general. <clears throat> the treatment of women is very heavily touched on in this series and, and they're constantly abused by people in power. And whilst it just show the horrific attitude of the police towards female victims with lines like, she should have been more careful, really. It's, you know, it's quite on the nose. But it's it's just a tad too bombastic and heavy-handed for me to take the messaging of it seriously, if I'm honest. Women do not prevail in this series at all. And there's some seriously shocking plot developments that articulate that very point. Um, later on in the show. Overall, though, I thought this was really well executed, mostly effective. There's action, horror, mystery, suspense. You've got everything here, and I had a really good time with it. I very nearly watched this as well. I was intrigued. Do it. 
how many episodes is it? Eight. And I rarely binge watch stuff, but I finished this in three evenings. So must have been good. So this main character, does she, who is a police clerk, does she start to investigate what's going on herself or is she just an observer to all this madness? No, she ignores everything she is told by her superior officers and inserts herself into the investigation, breaking into the suspect's home and such. So she she really goes for it. She goes rogue. So it's about her rogue investigation. Yes. I'm sold on that one. Absolutely. Anything else? Nothing else, unfortunately. I just wanted to ask you, have you managed to watch the boys finale yet? No, I've not. I haven't watched any more since those first three episodes that came out all at once. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I think maybe we should do a standalone spoiler-filled review of The Boys at some point when we've both seen it. I think we should. I'd love that. Let's do it. Should we find out what's going on within the industry? Yes. It's the real thing. It is now... Real, real news, news. I'm conscious that every time we bring something up about delays, it ends up changing in the five days between recording and releasing. But I just want to pick up on this Wonder Woman 1984 thing. There was a rumor on one website from an anonymous source saying that it was going to be released on streaming and in the cinema. Patty Jenkins, the director, has since said it's not being discussed. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It'll kill theatres. My one thing on that is that I'm sure it's not Patty Jenkins' decision. I'm almost certain it's not her decision. She's a producer on it as well, but it must go over her head and all the producers' heads. It's a bigger decision. So the thing that's in the cycle now is her responding to it and saying it's not going to happen, but Could it be a public back and forth debate that's happening before our eyes? It could be, but I was almost thinking as well, maybe she said that to just get it out there, hasn't run it past the PR people, and they're now fuming, thinking, what have you said this for, Patty? But it's not going to really affect anything in the grand scheme of news is never accurate news at the minute, is it? They're not going to be too concerned of going, oh, now we're going to have to double down and make ourselves look idiots and contradict ourselves and release it because you just can't trust anything that they're coming out with at the minute. No, and if they do release it on streaming, they'll have to come out with some perfectly written lines from the highly paid marketing people to describe how this is such an amazing way to get it out to as many people (laughs) as possible. It's so wonderful, so wonderful, and you'll have... Gal Gadot's Twitter saying, finally, we've decided let's make people happy this year now that Trump has won and it's December. It just completely contradicts Patty Jenkins saying, this is the apocalypse for the cinemas if we do this. (laughs) What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on that topic? I just think it's too... There's too many unknowns for the whole situation at the minute for anyone to make any solid guesses as to what's actually going to happen i just don't think anybody knows what the best thing to do is and i think they can only starve off for so long and wait to release in cinemas before they go right we're gonna have to think of something else guys because this is just we're looking at 2025 now hopefully it doesn't get to that point but hopefully not no 
one of your predictions from last week's episode, recorded before it was announced, Batman has been pushed back to 2022. So score one for you for predictions. Yes. The Batman. Yep. Sorry. Not not the only film to suffer a delay this week. Shock horror. Who'd have thunk it? Jurassic World Dominion. Also delayed till 2022. And Dune. Jurassic Park Dominion. That is the first time in my life that I've heard that title for that film. Didn't oh, know well, it existed. What do you think of the title? Does it work for you? Or are you just... Ugh. Is it a tie-in with Deep Space Nine, Star Trek? No, it is a spin-off to The Exorcist Dominion from 2000 and whatever it was. Okay, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Yeah. Hopefully they won't abandon it like the Men in Black 21 Jump Street collab. What was that now? That rings a bell, but I don't recall why. They were going to do Men in Black 21 Jump Street crossover, but they just said, ah, oh, forget it, and just didn't. They must have thought, why do that when we've got such an amazing idea for the Men in Black 3? Mm. Mm. With all the films being delayed and questions about whether films will ever make big money again, it reminds me of something that was said a year ago on my favourite YouTube channel, Red Letter Media, where Mike said he predicted that Avengers Endgame is the last blockbuster and that might end up being true, that Avengers Endgame is the last film that just makes absolutely outrageous money because it's not possible for films to make big money for a while. And then maybe it'll change the way that films are made, and then that was it. Endgame really was the endgame and the end of an era. Well, at least we went out on a high note. Yeah. Even with the death of Iron Man. Spoiler! And you may be thinking, what about Star Wars, Rise of Skywalker? Forget Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. A creative and financial failure. <laughs> Don't hold back. See how you really feel. So, the news this week, delays again. Same time next week. <laughs> Segway, speaking of delays, why don't we discuss the films that we have delayed seeing, James? Brilliant. I'd like that. What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut up, with yeah. that. Two. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you say makes sense. Conflicts of interest. In this conflicts of interest, we're not in conflict with each other. We're in conflict with our pasts. We're talking about films that we've not seen. That people say, oh, I can't believe you've not seen that. You have to see this. Oh, James, why have you not seen this film? Why are you wasting your life doing all this stuff? Oh, you've just made so many mistakes. No, I've not. No, I've not. I'm happy with what I've watched and what I've done. I think we went to a very personal place there. First off, we'll discuss the biggest cinematic crimes, the absolute holy grail of films that are listed in IMDb's top 250 that we haven't seen. And then we'll move on into some films that are just cult classics to some people that we are frowned upon for not viewing. Right, this might be very therapeutic for you, James, given your opening monologue there. Yeah. So should we, should we cleanse the soul, James? Come on, tell me, what have you not seen? 
despite my claims to really liking war films, I've never seen Das Boot, the 1981 classic directed by Wolfgang Peterson. I've never seen a single image or trailer from it. Not even the poster? I've seen the poster, but not an image from the actual film. I've seen all, all the big names, all the big American war films, but Das Boot, which is one of the greats, I've not seen it. Hey, yeah, but give yourself a bit of credit, James, for good reason, because I bet there's not a uh, a dubbed version of that. No, I, I can watch things with subtitles. I just I just choose not to. Calm down. I'm not calling you dyslexic. I'm not saying you can't read. I'm just saying that's your preferred method. Yeah, I've got a good, I've got a, I'm not going to get into that. I've got, I do have a reason. English dub, Japanese subtitles, figure it out. What is that? I take it that's in IMDb's top 250, is it? That's in IMDb's top 250, one of the top war films. What number's it at? Because I, I haven't seen this either. So don't feel ashamed. Number 80. Ah, oh, it's fine. German, isn't it? Yeah. What about you? What's your big one? I don't know if it's a big one, but I started, I was working my way down the top 250 list. And I just, it was one of the first that I came across within the top 50 that I hadn't seen. And it is Life is Beautiful with Roberto Benini, is it? Yeah, is that the Italian one? Yes, and I don't feel bad about it because if memory serves me correctly, I remember waking up in the morning after the Oscars and everyone was in complete uproar about the fact that that won Best Picture. So I always got the impression that it just wasn't worth it. And that's why I've never watched it. So there you go. Not bothered. Not seen it. Not bothered. Yeah, I think we'll let that one go. I've not seen it either. And you know what? Maybe people on IMDb are just giving it upvotes because they think that they should. Or it's Roberto Benini's family going, the Oscar was warranted. Just giving it a 10. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fake news. It's fake news. Life is beautiful. It's fake news. <laughs> Any others for you on the top 250? Yes. Vertigo. The Alfred Hitchcock film, Vertigo. It's way before our time, so maybe I can be forgiven if it's in the 1950s. I can get away with it. You can be forgiven if you can answer yes to these following questions. Have you watched Rear Window? Yes. Oh, we'll just stop there. It's fine. I just <laughs> wanted you to have not seen any Alfred Hitchcock films and then I'd come down on you like a ton of bricks. Well, I did make a note saying that I don't think I've seen any Alfred Hitchcock films, but I've definitely seen Rear Window. Definitely. I remember very well the final scene where he's flashing the camera at the guy walking towards him to try to blind him and slow him down. Definitely seen Rear Window, but that might be the only one. No Psycho? No. Oh, you got to... Yeah, you've got to watch that. I know it's not the film that we were discussing, but yeah, give, give it a go. Can't comment on Vertigo because I don't think I've seen it myself either. That's three for three. It's like we've avoided the films that we know we should avoid. That's fine. Yeah. I, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Have you got any others? Next one that I came across, there's a theme here as well because mine are all foreign, so maybe I'm more ignorant than you. Uh, City of God. Never seen it. Have you? Yes, I have. I loved this when it first came out. I have only seen it the once, but I do remember watching it. And yeah, it, it is good. That is one that I would say, as one that I've actually seen, it's good. Worth the hype. So now that we're in this sort of scenario, 
the fact that I haven't seen it, are you judging me for it? No, no, I'm not judging you. I personally will not judge you. Have you been judging the past for it? Yeah, not that film in particular, but I was just I was I was trying to do a subtle lead into the next section, but you've you've stalled it a bit now. I think you're an idiot for not seeing City of God. Right. Well, turns out you're not the only person with a similar sort of opinion. But listen to what misery people have bestowed on me in my life for not watching films. Namely, some Jim Carrey fare in the form of Liar Liar and Dumb and Dumber. I've never seen either of them. Liar Liar seems to have people more outraged than Dumb and Dumber, depending on who you're speaking to. But equally, people are just... They can't believe it. They can't wrap their head around the fact that I haven't seen these films. And part of me, because I've been judged so much, understands why. But I think that's just me going, no, no, you're the one with the problem. You are the one with the problem. You haven't seen these films, you idiot. But is that right? I've not seen Dumb and Dumber either, so I can't pass comment on that one. Yes. Yes. We must be one of the only two people. No, we must be two of the only people. Liar Liar, though, I think maybe the reason for that one is that Liar Liar did used to be on UK broadcast TV quite a lot, so it was easy to watch, for one thing, and it is really good. It is really good. It's Jim Carrey just being Jim Carrey in the 90s. Really good. I would recommend that one. I think it might be on Netflix. Right, okay. I mean, you say it was on TV all the time. Maybe I didn't have a TV, James. Do you know what I mean? Is that even a consideration in your head or anyone else's? Should I have to explain to everyone that I didn't have a TV? I did have a TV, but it's the assumption. Fair enough. Fair enough. What about you? Have you got similar sorts of gripes from people? I've only seen one Harry Potter film all the way through. Oh, you must be on someone's shit list then. I am. I am. Especially, well, I won't name them, but certain people throughout my like working life where they've gone on and on about Harry Potter. People that are our age or a little bit younger, they're obsessed with it. They're fully like the way I am with Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. They think it's one of the great pieces of things to watch. And I'll just say, I've never seen it. They'll go, what? It's Harry Potter. It's an institution. It's one of the greatest things that has ever existed. How could you have missed all the Harry Potter films over the past 20 years, there's like 30 of them. How is this possible? How have you not seen it? I've just not. I'm an adult. It's passed me by. I've missed the boat. I'm just out, I'm just outside the age bracket. But even then, I still get looks like, how have you missed it? How is this possible? It's on ITV every day. How have you done this? Am I, am I missing something here? Have you seen them? So not a fan of the books. When I say I'm not a fan of the books, I haven't read them. That's why I'm not a fan. But I made my way through the first film. Thought it was all right. Second film, oh, this is quite good. Third film, me. Fourth film, me. Fifth film, oh, that was really good. That good enough that I don't need to see any more. And I stopped. So reached Goblet of Fire, I think is the fifth one. And then just haven't bothered since. Just not caught up in the law at all. So again, not going to judge you. Have you ever met? the sort of response which isn't just sheer outrage, but, right, this is bad enough that I'm not going to talk to you anymore. When discussing Harry Potter with someone or discussing not watching it, I think I might have said something 
a bit arrogant, like, well, I'm an adult, so no. And no reaction to that at all. Just not, they were just not impressed. It was like I had offended a family member when I dissed Harry Potter and I had to sort of build the relationship back up after that. If you said, I'm an adult, that's you've played a dangerous card there. Um, I think you've, you've opened yourself up for insults. But I, I personally find that funny, and I probably would have said the same thing. Either that or Expelliarmus off, you... don't know. don't know where I was going with that. Fair enough. was just curious. Another one that is more adult content that I get a very similar reaction is The Sopranos. When I'm talking about the great TV, I'll think I'm being really clever when I say, I've got to watch The Wire. The Wire is the greatest things ever. The response I always get back is, oh, The Sopranos. And I say, I've never seen it. And my interlocutor will say, how have you not seen The Sopranos? You should be ashamed. You're talking about The Wire. You're talking about other great shows that I can't think of. You've not seen The Sopranos. You're a fool. How have you done that? On the opposite side of the spectrum from Harry Potter, you've got this mature content where I'm saying, well, I can't say I'm a child to have not seen it. I'm supposed to have seen it. The timing was perfect. That was in the golden age when we were watching 24 and I just didn't watch it. But are there any other glaring errors? Not from me personally, but in everyone else's opinion. So I have never watched Grease or Dirty Dancing and it's provoked the same sort of response we were speaking about before, but heightened to a whole new level because... Whereas Liar Liar and Dumb and Dumber, most people have seen them. Grease and Dirty Dancing, there cannot possibly be one person on this earth who hasn't seen Bo- who hasn't seen either film. And if there is, my word, they should be thrown into a very dark hole to think about what they've done or what they haven't done, should I say. So I've I've th- think this happened at the Sig Shelter at work. I confessed, no, I've never seen Grease. There was ten people around going, oh, "You are, you are, you never, you never seen Greek, you never seen Greek." What, what, what? It was like just pandemonium. It was mental. It just caused such a stir. I've never seen anything quite like it. The voices that you've attributed to that, you what, mate? You what? I can't believe you're not seeing Greece, mate. They, those voices don't match what's being said. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It's just I'm not as uh, proficient. Can't believe. Can't believe you're not seeing Dirty Dancing, mate. Brilliant, mate. But I submit to you, James, and the listening public, I've heard the damn soundtrack so much that I feel like I've seen it. I've seen the iconic moments in documentaries or whatever it might be. I just don't feel the need to watch it now. I've been overexposed to it. There are certain things that are embedded in the culture, like the big numbers in Greece or the finale of Dirty Dancing and the dancing practice scenes in Dirty Dancing. We've seen it. They're embedded in the cultural furniture of our minds. So we don't need to go out of the way and spend that four hours doing it. It's like people that haven't seen the first Star Wars film. Everyone knows what happens in that film. We've all seen the robots and Darth Vader and the flying bits. There's no need to see it. So I should sleep easy tonight, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to back you on that one. I think I've seen them both, but I don't remember seeing them, which just fits with what I'm saying, really. They just exist in my head as, yeah, I get the idea. I know I know what goes on in them. Yeah. So 
talking about this more broadly, because there are people with such violent opinions on people not seeing or seeing things. Do you think there's any fundamental films that you must have seen in order to have a valid opinion when it comes to film? And to, to put that in perspective, it's almost like if you haven't had the be benchmark set because you haven't seen the greatest of the great, what are you comparing everything else to? Yeah, yeah. Okay, off the top of my head, and this is... It's going to be partly because I've, we've just been looking at the IMDb top 250. Shawshank Redemption, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Terminator 2 as the great examples of drama, big CGI fantasy and action. Good ones, good ones. For comedy, I don't know. I don't know because that's the most subjective of all. What about you? What would you say? You have to watch, otherwise you're an absolute idiot. <sighs> Memento. I know I put it as number one on my Christopher Nolan list, but I think it's such a masterclass in how a story can be unconventionally told, yet still be extremely thought-provoking and interesting in the way it goes about it. I, I just That was a revelation to me, that film, when it was released. American Beauty just explores so many different ideas and it's done in such a perfect way. One of the most beautifully shot films that I can possibly think of. And it really has for very pretentious, pompous reasons lasted with me for a long time because I was so deeply affected by it. And you know what? Gladiator, because that is just in contrast to the other two films that I just mentioned, that felt so epic to me at the time and has, has stayed with me throughout my life, the way that I felt watching that film. And I thought, this is what a real... A big blockbuster that also has Arts. brains and high quality and is a piece of art. Yeah. And I'll just add, when we're talking about acting and performances, I'd say you have to have seen one or two Al Pacino and Robert De Niro films. I think that's a good... A good measure of, of whether you can judge a film or not. Good, nice, nice shout out to the acting greats there. To summarize, though, we've burned our souls. You have not judged me. I have not judged you. And let this be a lesson to everybody listening. Don't go judging somebody else because they haven't seen the wrong Missy or Hubie Halloween. Okay? Just don't judge people. If, if you are going to judge people, judge people who have watched them films. Yeah. Judge the kind of people that when they come into Blockbuster Video and say to me behind the till, oh, what should I watch? And I try to provide actual recommendations to them and they just say, oh, I like Martin Lawrence. Have you got the new Martin Lawrence one? Which is obviously rubbish. Well, I think the time has come, James. Shall we double bill it up? Yes, let's do that. Enter the Bloom House. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Welcome to the Bloom House is the marketing term that Amazon and Bloom House are using to label four new Bloom House Studios films. We're reviewing two of them this week. 
we're going to do non-spoiler talk for both of them. Then we'll do spoiler talk for both of them. First up, The Lie. Hey, bet they thought they were going to get away with this, huh? Excuse me? Brittany and Kayla didn't make it to the dance camp. Didn't the school call you? No, Kayla's sick. I kept her home this weekend. I was sure they were doing this together. You know, they're with their secret plans. No way. What? Dad, pull over. It's Brit. What are you doing here? I'm going to that stupid ballet thing. Duh. You think I could talk to Kayla? Her dad took her to the doctor. Can she call me when she's back? Of course. <laughs> you need to tell her dad that you don't know where she is. No. Hey, what happened to your face? Looks like you got hit. Is there a bathroom nearby? Can we pull over now? I'm scared. She can't be trusted to talk to Brittany's dad. Daddy! Kayla! Get down! <gasps> Where's your friend? Oh, my Whatever this game is that you're playing, it's over. Where's Brittany? Get off me! Dad! Get out of here! I'm going to the police. An all-white cast bring us The Lie, an exploration of how a shed load of poor decisions stemming from an effort to cover up a tiny porky slash heinous crime can result in inevitable misery for all involved. Filmmaker Vina Sood leaves us with the one unanswered question, why even bother to have children? Or as IMDb would have it, a father and daughter are on their way to dance camp when they spot the girl's best friend on the side of the road. When they stop to offer the friend a ride, their good intentions soon result in terrible consequences. Daniel, what did you think of the lie? So before we delve in, Venus Soud or Sood, I'm getting the name wrong. It's a habit. Do it every episode, whatever. She's most known for being the show creator on The Killing and actually directed and created the series that I reviewed a few, well, months back now, The Stranger, which was on Quibi, which I also enjoyed. So true to form, as The Killing was a remake of a Danish TV show, this is a remake of We Monsters, a 2015 German film. Come up with an original idea, eh? This premiered at the Toronto Film Festival way back in 2018 and has sat on the shelf ever since, which I think we mentioned on a previous episode. So because of that alone, I did not have high expectations for this film at all. I saw the user consensus on IMDb weren't great. Critical reviews weren't much better. So I came into this really fearing the worst. But surprisingly, it's quite a... powerful family drama slash thriller it's not really a horror film in any shape or form i think if you watch this expecting a horror film you're going to be very 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 disappointed and having that label assigned to it from the offset because it is a welcome to the blumhouse oh it's a lead up to halloween here's two horror films for you That had me constantly questioning where the film was going, anticipating that it was going to go either down some, the daughter is an evil, sadistic killer 
type scenario or there's something supernatural going to happen. I just thought it's horror. There's going to be more to this. And without spoiling it too much, there's not. It is literally a family drama. So ignoring the fact that it's been marketed in completely the wrong way, there are fine performances across the board with this film. There's some great acting talent. No weak link at all, in my opinion. But Joey King, I've seen her, she plays the daughter in this. I've seen her in quite a few things now, and she is an unbelievable actress. And I know it's not what we're discussing, but if you want to see her absolutely knocking it out of the park, please, please, please seek out the act, which is a TV show from, I think it was last year. Um, and she is unreal in that. It centers around, I don't want to go off on a tangent too much, but I really do want to highlight that this is a good thing to watch. It centers on a real life crime that happened involving a case of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And if you watch the documentary about this case, that is about Gypsy Rose Blanchard. She's such a weird, odd character, and her performance is exactly as you see it within the documentary. She has it down to a T. Sorry, completely went off on a tangent. As I said, I wouldn't do that, but please watch it. It's great. It's absolutely great. Back to the film. It will challenge your patience, depending on, on how much you can suspend belief. So same as Good Morning Veronica, there's absolutely appalling decisions made in this film from the parents in an effort to protect the daughter. But despite that, I am nearly 100% confident that anyone who ridicules these parents for the decisions they make, and they are a bit mental, this has happened in real life. They won't be the first people, if not the thousandth. So yes, you might find yourself getting a bit annoyed with some of the things they do, but it isn't outside the realms of possibility. For me, I was brought really into the story. I could see past the, oh, come on, really? side of things and yeah i i i quite enjoyed this what about your good self james i was interested throughout the whole thing which itself is a positive there was a good escalation of the tension as the lie itself starts to unravel and become harder and harder to conceal and more characters get involved and the net closes around the family and it's very focused it's very focused on that story which kept me interested which is maybe partly because there's a low budget but it adds to this sense of claustrophobia and the net closing in around them that does also mean though that not a lot actually happens there's one inciting event at the very start which is what kicks off the lie and then you think there's going to be more events happening but there's nothing else that happens it's just lots of little things that build up until the very end like you said this is definitely not a horror film i think it's a victim of the marketing it's not a horror film there's one scene that would be in a horror film which is where the father of the girl is at the frosted window of the house trying to look in and the daughter joey king is trying to hide that's the only scene in the one hour 40 minutes that would be in a horror film the cast, like you've said, is solid. Everyone does the job. The only strange thing was Crycheck from The X-Files, who plays the cop. He's over-the-top inappropriate in all his conversations. It's like a good cop, bad cop thing. But Crycheck comes in saying, oh, well, that teenage girl was pretty hot. Or 
saying to that one guy, so what are you like, Arab or African? What are you? It just seemed really out of place with what was a pretty straightforward, normal sounding group of characters. That was the only thing that threw me off. Solid cast. If there's one word I would use to describe this film, it is solid. Solid cast. Solid, straightforward story. Solid visually, but not that spectacular. It does the job. And I really liked the ending that I'm looking forward to discussing in spoilers. On this point of bad decisions being made, I've seen comments like that as well, and I picked up on it, but I just thought the bad decisions were a result of the impossible situation that they were in. So the situation is so extreme, they have to think so fast that, of course, they're going to make bad decisions. I mean, with all the documentaries that we've watched on Netflix, especially true crime documentaries, people make bad decisions under pressure. You People do things that don't make any sense that are shocking. So I completely accepted the bad decision part of it because I thought this is what people do in this kind of situation. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, I thought, have I just given them an easy pass? But like you said, there's that much evidence of people out there doing this day in, day out that I was willing to go along with it. All being said, would you recommend The Lie? Yes, I would, given that it's available for free on Amazon Prime. Would you recommend The Lie? Yes, I would. It's a lot better than some of the standard stuff that you find in this genre. And by this genre, I don't even mean horror. I mean thriller. An effective domestic thriller, nonetheless. I really enjoyed this. So, yes, I would recommend. Okay. Shall we go on to the second film of the double bill? Let's do that now. Who's there? I'm fine. I wasn't asking. Nolan Wright, involved in a car accident, resulting in the death of his wife. Is there anyone else who can pick you up? He's just running a little late today. And severe memory loss. If this happens again, we're going to have to notify child services. I believe that I can reverse your condition. We should give it a shot, right? Come with me, please. We call this headset the black box an immersive virtual pathway to your memories. I like to begin with something I call a safe room. When, when you push, push the crown of the watch, you will be in your subconscious. Are you ready? How can you recall a lifetime of lost memories when you only have the budget for two extra locations? How do you tell the difference between fantasy and reality when you don't have access to expensive special effects? And how is it that the doctors in this film have so much free time? The answers to all this and more are in this feature-length, rejected episode of Black Mirror, Black Box, which amazingly is about a car crash, not a plane crash. After losing his wife and his memory in a car accident, a single father undergoes an agonising experimental treatment that calls him to question who he really is. Hmm... James of Rothwell, what did you think of Black Box? It took a bit too long to get going. You know that this concept of him having experimental treatment is going to come. It just took a while to get there for me. There were too many scenes of him forgetting things. We get that he's got amnesia. We get it. 
we don't need to see him forgetting so much. It's established. But once things did kick off, you knew something else was going on. You knew something wasn't quite right. <laughs> quite right. And I wanted to know, just like with the light, I wanted to know what was happening. I did care. I really cared about the young daughter. She was really good. I cared about the main character and it kept me interested. And isn't that enough? Again, not a horror film, I would submit. Not a horror film. It's more of a sci-fi thriller, much like Black Mirror. The comparisons are quite clear. The blurred face effect in his memories was quite creepy. That was the only special effect that was in the dreams that was creepy but not scary the casting again solid the main character was a bit off at times for me but i think that's just what the character is supposed to be because he doesn't know what's going on or who he is if i could describe this film in one word it would be solid solid cast solid writing it does the job nothing spectacular but it's solid as I've watched these two films both together and they've all been marketed together, I'll have to compare them a little bit. It's less tense than The Lie in terms of this constant increase in attention, but it is more creepy and sometimes scary with the contortionist crawling monster man. It deals with surprisingly difficult issues towards the end, at the very, very end, which we'll talk about in spoilers. And with that powerful ending that does make a good point, it left me on a high. What did you think of Black Box? So you've stolen a lot of the words right out of my notes because it seems we're on the same page with this one. Uh, you mentioned it. Sci-fi horror, not so much, um, is exactly what you said. More of a sci-fi thriller. And bar that use of the contorted figure that you alluded to, which was very the grudge, the ring style-esque, it really is not a horror at all. But, again, to compare the two, more so than The Lie. More high concept than The Lie, although having said that, the concept is nothing new that you haven't seen before. It oddly starts the exact same way as The Lie. Did you notice this? Yeah, I noticed that as well. thought it was very odd. Not odd, but I did notice it. Yes, there's home videos of each respective parent filming their first moments in the daughter's life, and that happens at the beginning of The Lie and Black Box, which is odd. That's not even what I thought you were referring to. I thought you were talking about how both films start with the father driving their daughter in a car. Oh, right. No. So it it goes even further with that. Didn't notice that bit. So, yeah, strange. But it is, to steal your word solidly directed it does have some atmosphere to it he enters this experimental treatment to help him reform these memories and i did find myself interested in getting to grips with this guy discovering himself through his memories and oh what's going to be unveiled around his past and and what's gone on similarly i am not meaning to copy you this week at all james but it was the daughter that i had an emotional connection to i did feel really sorry for her there are those revelations as we get further in the film, and they were fine, but I felt a bit lukewarm on this film. At first I thought, oh, it wasn't that bad, that. But saying those words out loud makes you go, that doesn't mean it's good. And it's a sad thing, but with the horror genre in particular, when a film is okay, 
and I know we're debating whether this is horror, but it's been branded as such. But yeah, when it when it's okay, you tend to think it's better than it actually is. And I do that a lot. If something is just passable as a horror, I go, oh, it's all right. But it wasn't really. It was just, it was quite bad. And I'm willing to look the other way because there's so much within the horror genre. It's overly saturated with just duds. So that's why I think reassessing it, I just wasn't too hot on this. Would you describe it as a horror film? No, I'd say sci-fi thriller with horror elements, but it's predominantly a thriller. Yeah, that's what I thought as well, as I've said. The daughter, as we've both just said, but I just think it bears repeating, the whole outcome of the film hinges on whether you care about that daughter or not. And if that didn't work, it would just be a complete disaster. But she is really good. And I liked the dynamic of the daughter raising the father because he's got amnesia. That was really well done. There are admirable things in this film. I'm not saying it isn't without merit completely. It's just having watched the live prior to Black Box, I was expecting that sort of standard, and this was just a bit under par in relation to the lie for me. Wish I'd watched them the other way around. Yeah. Maybe if you watch them the other way around, your opinion would be the other way around. Like I think maybe what happened with me was the lie was more than what I expected expectations raised and then watch black box and it just it it just met expectations rather than mm. exceeding them. I don't know about you, but I'm holding back because both of these films hinge so much on the endings. So before going to spoilers, Daniel, would you recommend Black Box? If sci-fi thrillers are your genre of choice, yes. If you have anything else to watch and that's not your bag, no. Anything else. Okay. James, what about you? For something that is overall engaging to the end, yes. Okay. Speaking of the end, let's wreck it in the spoiler <laughs> discussion. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So in Black Box... The main character undergoes experimental treatment to recover memories from his subconscious with a special machine from a doctor. But turns out the doctor is trying to insert her dead son's memories into this poor man. Does that make sense? Have I explained that okay? Yeah, bang on, completely, yeah. What you get at the end is within the subconscious this battle between these two men so you've got the son of the doctor and the memories of the man who is the rightful owner of this body and they fight it out and what i liked about the ending which is a surprising deep thing i was referring to is that the dead son's memories that are trying to be forced into this host body he remembers that he was an abusive husband who hit his own daughter he died by being pushed down the stairs by his wife and upon remembering that he realizes actually i don't deserve to have my life back i'm going to step back let the original owner of this body take it and go off and i just like that i thought that was surprising it came out of nowhere that it was so serious 
and it was good. A good ending, I thought. I don't know whether I maybe because I wasn't as engaged with it as I think you were. That messaging didn't quite land with me. I didn't realise that's what it was going for. I just thought, in fact, I was confused because I thought, hang on, why has he got all his actual memories back when his brain was officially dead, but suddenly he's his own person again and this other consciousness has been rejected from his brain? That was about the sum of what I got from the end. And apart from, oh, he is now trapped in this virtual space on his own. Good. I just thought, yay for the good guy and boo towards the bad guy. I didn't even realise that message. But now that you've said it, it is a bit more profound than I gave it credit for. And that is quite a neat little idea. So I'm sure it was a lot clearer than I'm making it out to be. But thanks for sharing, because now I have a bit more of an appreciation of the film. What message? The message that the abusive husband realises, actually, I'm going to step aside because he's the better man. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, did you lean towards, before the twist was revealed, that he's just a bad dude with a shady life and he's coming to terms with it? Or did you know that, no, this is something else and this is going to be an uploading somebody else's consciousness kind of scenario? Did you see it coming in any way? I didn't see it coming at all. I thought this guy has forgotten things about his own life. This is the original guy not the dead son i thought he's forgotten that he's had an affair or his friend who is a doctor as well he's hiding something from him he's hoping that he won't remember the worst parts of his life that's where i thought it was it was going so it, it you know misled me completely so i was i was totally shocked did you have some your suspicions about the female doctor administering the treatment just by the nature of what sort of film it is, I thought there's there's more to this than meets the eye, but I didn't get the specifics behind it. I'm not going to lie and say that, oh, no, I knew exactly what was going on here. I, did, I didn't. I just thought something else is afoot. It was as blanket statement as that. Again, leaning towards my not-so-favourable views on this film, I just... <laughs> and now you're making me rethink this because of what the ending actually represents... <laughs> But it felt like an idea that, you know, I said it before, it's not original. There's so many versions of this sort of story, even thinking as far back as it made me think of 1993's Blink. Have you ever seen it? No. It's about, I th think it's got Madeline Stowe in it. It's where she's a woman who undergoes an eye transplant and basically sees through the eyes of a serial killer. So it's not, it's not 100% the same thing, but there's... I think idle hands is a bit like that as well. Somebody gets their hands cut off and puts somebody else's on and that causes them to act out in weird, violent ways. And Metal Gear Solid 4 and Metal Gear Solid 2, Revolver Ocelot has liquid snakes um, grafted onto his arm and there's a battle of their consciousnesses inside their minds. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's... I mean, I think it's a neat idea, but it does feel like one of them that all right, I've not got too many examples to throw at you right now, but it does feel like it's been done to death a bit. And I just thought, be a bit more ambitious and do something else with this idea. And I, I, th I think, given what you've said, maybe they actually did and I just didn't realise. But, yeah. The more I talk, the more I maybe think that I did like this film. In a bigger budget film, that final confrontation of the two guys fighting each other for control of this 
body within the subconscious. In a bigger budget film, it would be such an elaborate fight of them. Every time someone gets punched, it jumps to a different memory with a special effect and they kind of elaborately fall between each other's memories and everything all gets mixed up and like the rooms all kind of smash together and everything's all spinning around. You can imagine, you know, whatever, like, like an Inception style thing. But it's not. It's just two guys in a room and it's all done through their performances, what's happening. Hmm. Doctor Strange, it would like Doctor Strange if it was a bit bigger budget with all kinds of craziness going on, but they don't do that at all. It's just two men fighting for the, their own futures. This film introduces its twist, I would say, with nearly 40 minutes left remaining. Yeah. Which is in very stark contrast to our other film, The Lie, where it is at the very death where we learn the truth of what has gone on. Without further ado, shall we go into The Lie? Yes. The whole film pivots on the act that is carried out by the daughter where she, in inverted commas, kills her best friend by pushing her into a lake off a bridge. And within the final moments of the film, who should present themselves on the doorstep of the parents but the girl herself who is suspected to have died at the hands of their daughter. So, (gasps) shock, she's alive. She is alive. What gone on? What's happened? Turns out... They've colluded together and made up a story so that basically her best friend can go off and spend the weekend with a boyfriend and just decided that Joey King will tell her parents that she's murdered her because that makes complete sense. And (laughs) the best friend will just go off and have a jolly old time with a boyfriend. So what did you think of that twist? At the time when I was watching it, I really liked it, but the way you described it then makes me think it was a complete ridiculous story it's so stupid for this daughter to make her parents and britney's father think that she's gone missing that is just so stupid it's such a stupid thing to do but within the film at the time i was watching it it made sense and i thought it was fine and when the friend britney turns up the mother discount jessica chastain she walks up to her and touches her to make sure that she's real because I wasn't sure either and I really liked that when she actually went to grab her and they all realise oh god and I was I was into it like I said I was into it till that very last frame where it just cuts and they're all hugging each other I liked it what did you think of that twist she's alive she's alive I, I was conflicted for a twist sake and the nature of twist, I thought it was quite a good one. And I did 100% did not see it coming at all because that just wouldn't be true. But I suppose it was the purpose of the filmmaker, but I just felt duped. I suppose that is ultimately what I am supposed to feel at that moment. But I just thought, oh, does, have you earned this? Have you actually earned this? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am, as I say, conflicted on it. I don't know fully whether I liked it or not. Because would the daughter really allow it to get to that level, really? Like Now that you've mentioned that, that's made me question it quite a lot. Do you think it would have worked if it would have ended with them, the parents killing Britney's father by running him over twice and then them being arrested for that? Even though I've called it out, there is something behind the fact that 
all right, I've said it several times now, but this is not or does not appear to be a horror film. But given what transpires at the very end, it does almost feel quite horrific and lends itself to a horror film because it makes you wonder what people are really capable of. So, okay, you could forgive this girl for a, a youth and naivety for the decision that she's made to go along with the story that she's accidentally killed her best friend. But does that mean it's not plausible? I don't know whether that would have worked as well as this, despite me having problems with it. I don't know. Again. With that twist that she's alive, it does explain the daughter's behaviour. So at least there's that. Because the daughter, Joy King, she's being so casual about it. And the father just says, oh, she's in shock. And it seems a bit like she's some kind of psychopath who can kill someone and not react, which could be good as a story. But then this twist means that it's not that. She's acting that way because she didn't kill anyone. Yeah. And and further to what I just said about what people are capable of, I ended the film left thinking, I didn't think, oh, she is an evil person. I just thought, you're an absolute idiot. You're an absolute idiot. That is how I felt. Sorry. She is an idiot. With it's again, there's a link between the two films because in Black Box, it all rests on that daughter being sympathetic. And because the imposter dead son has met the daughter, he's immediately sympathetic to her. That's part of the reason why he relinquishes control of the subconscious. Whereas in this film, the lie. The daughter is an idiot. She is an idiot. And you just feel like these parents are the victims of this daughter being a complete idiot. And that infects your reaction to everything else, I think. And it is, the more that I think about it, it's quite clever in how it plays with the genre in a way, because you said she's quite calm and collected about the whole affair. She doesn't seem very impacted by it. And that also made me think, right, okay, she is an absolute psychopath, and I was waiting for this the orphan-style horrid evil daughter to materialise, and it just never did. But again, maybe that's misdirection to make you think it's going in one way when, it, in fact, it was quite the opposite. So I don't know. I'm flitting back and forth as to, like, it was really clever or this bit was really stupid. I don't know whether it's just... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. You've made me question it as well. I'll still, I'd still recommend it. It's just, it's not that good. Mm. It's okay, it's, it's, it's good enough. It's solid. It does enough. Yeah. Well, that's about it for this week's episode, is it not? Yes, it is. So the first week of our Halloween build-up complete, James. I was sceptical as to whether this would be a worthwhile venture for you, given that you said it last week. Not necessarily against horror just not the biggest fan what's your thoughts so far are you looking forward to the next two i'm looking forward to the next two i do want them to be actual horror films though yeah no i'm i'm in agreement with that i will feel once again duped if we don't get um straight up horror films now because it's it's pushing the boundaries of the marketing a bit too far if the rest aren't in line with the genre that they're purporting they should be so yes yeah, and that's Welcome to the Bloom House, part two, Nocturne and The Eye. Yes. If you wish to get in touch with us, as ever, please do email us at in the podcast at gmail.com. 
if you want to get in touch on Instagram. How so, James? In the Isles podcast. Good, good. And you can also write to us. You can't. <laughs> Don't know what that was about. Right, horror again. Next week, can't wait. See you there, James. See ya. Bye. <laughs>